Our Father God, um, Lord, we thank you first and foremost for who you are. Uh, God, we we sing and we say amen, we agree. But God, sometimes our, our lives aren't reflective of that. And my prayer is that as we say amen to your word, to your will, God, that we let our lives reflect that. That we're not hypocrites, that we're doing what it is that you want us to do. Lord, that we're making your name great, that we're not promoting our own selves. Uh, because, God, we know that if we do it for me, or if I do it for me, then I'm going to fail me. God, we know that your word never fails. You will never fail us. God, let us put our hope and our trust in you in everything we do. God, as we open your word, as we sit under your teaching, God, I, I pray that um, we can just glean from uh, what is being taught today to impact every aspect of our lives. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> All right. How are we doing today? Good? I'm A-OK. Fantastic. <clears throat> I think I'm starting to develop a cough, like in the last 15 minutes. So it was kind of crazy. Gabe has been sick, and Shannon has been sick, and I think it's my turn, but... That's all right. It won't stop me for the next three and a half hours. Um, okay, so here's the deal. Who, who saw the new addition as they walked into the sanctuary today? Who noticed it? Some, you somebody saw it? Okay, all right, yeah. Um, the cross that's on the, the pallet wall now, which is awesome. I, I love... I, I don't have favorites with inside the church, but I think there, there are certain people that um, seem to be uh, identified as favorites. Because they do just awesome work. I think it's more envy than anything else. But uh, I, I know that there was, a, and I'm not going to name names because there's a whole bunch of people that's been involved in a lot of different things. But uh, what's going on and how God's moving to help not only transform the, 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 the hearts of the individuals in here, but we're transforming the appearance, uh, uh, the, the outward pouring. So when we have people come in, they can see that this is a place that's alive. Uh, God is moving, he's alive, and, and we are uh, a good representation of that. Um, for those that uh, haven't heard the spiel with the, 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 the pallet wall, uh, I, I think I need to reiterate that now that the, the cross is up on it. Because before, when we talk about that wall that's back there, it's just a bunch of pallet wood, right? In and of themselves, um, each piece of, that, of the, that, those boards, or that wood, is not very um, desirable. If we took a piece of that wood off that wall, it would just be a piece of wood. But together, it makes a beautiful thing. And that's our church. That's the way in which I, I view our church. We're made up of different shapes and sizes, different imperfections, um, whatever. Uh, that's, that's us. And now with that cross on that wall, it's even more us because that, that, that gives us the, the center and the focal point of what it is we're to be doing here. We're to focus on the cross in everything we do. The cross is what holds us together. Christ, what he's done, um, transcends everything that you're doing in your life. And we need to, to keep that in mind. So I wanted to say that uh, has nothing to do with the sermon today, but uh, it has everything to do with your life. And uh, so, anywho. Um, fall festival, I've got invites, 
If anybody needs these, Bobby will hand them out. <clears throat> Notice he's wearing a West Virginia sweatshirt. And they lost yesterday. Um, <clears throat> number one in your hearts, they got to be number one somewhere. Uh, I think Clemson's number six. Uh, but anywho, I'm going to ask this question. Don't raise your hand. I did the same thing last week. So uh, I'll let the conviction set in in your heart. Um, how many of you shared the gospel with somebody this week? Um, okay. The, the, these invitations here, if you need one, if nothing else, this could be an icebreaker for you to have that gospel-centered conversation. And I want to go one step further, because I was thinking about this, and um, I, I believe that the Holy Spirit, um, he, he, he gave me this, this thought, because too many times preachers say, you need to do this. And those that are sitting out in, in, in the, the congregation say, okay, yeah, I need to do that. I, how do I do that? And then that's where that stalemate happens. Well, let's do this. Not insulting anybody's um, spiritual maturity. Not insulting anybody's intelligence. But let's take this step. If you haven't shared the gospel with anybody in the last two weeks since we've talked, started talking even more about this, um, share the gospel, and this is going to sound crazy, but you'll understand in a second. Share the gospel with a brother or a sister in Christ. J- j- just do that. Just, just sit down, say, hey, ogre, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to share the gospel with him. Because here's what I'm convinced of. If we're not talking and speaking Jesus with those who love us and those whom we love, how in the world are we going to be speaking and talking about Jesus of those who may be even hostile to him? You see, there is some kind of logic in it. Um, I know that uh, this week um, we sat down with, uh, with Fight Club and we did that same thing, just given that opportunity to say, okay, this is what we need to do. Because there are some people that are here that are, would not raise their hand or would not want to admit that, well, I've never done that before. I don't think I could. Well, here, get some practice. You, you can tell me. You can tell. I mean, there's multiple people in here. There's a multitude of people in here that would be willing to sit down and, and say, hey, hey Marty, just, just hear me out on this. Let, let, me, let me present the gospel to you. Let me share the gospel with you. Tell me if this, if this sounds right. And, my, and let me just brush up on my skills, right? Is that, is that legit? Can we do that? So if nothing else this week, the person in which you're going to share the gospel with may be somebody who already knows and is already a believer, but nonetheless, do it. Let, let, let's just do that. Let's just do that. That's the task for this week. So, with that, um, open your Bibles or turn your Bibles on or whatever you, you do. Um, I want to start a, uh, a mini-series that, well, I, I've, I've said it's going to be two weeks. So it's going to be this week and next week because then the following week is the uh, fall festival. But to be honest with you, if this goes into the fall festival, so be it. You know how, that, how things roll. We're just going to follow God's leading. Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to start. Uh, No, actually, we're going to start in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Uh, We're going to start there. The the whole premise, the whole understanding, the whole focus for these next couple weeks is going to be the mind of Christ. So if you're taking notes, write down the mind of Christ. 
Um, in this, I think too often people think, well, the mind of Christ is the, that which believers have. Yes, but. Because what, what, what happens is some people think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm saved I, I believe in uh, the, the good news of God's redemptive plan for sinful humanity. I believe in the gospel. So um, I, I've got the mind of Christ. Well, here's the truth behind all of this. Uh, I, I like how uh, Oswald Chambers writes. He, he writes on the, the, the topic of or the subject of the mind of Christ. He says, God gives us the spirit of Jesus. So... When we accept Christ into our lives, um, if we're sitting here and we're, we're a believer in Jesus Christ, when we accept Christ into our life and, and, and understand that's the gospel in a nutshell, we're accepting the gift that God has given us. So when we accept Christ into our life, God gives us the spirit of Christ who dwells inside of us. A, a few weeks ago, we talked about um, the renewed presence of the eternal God in the person of the Holy Spirit, how he dwells inside of us. So we're not able to live a holy life in and of ourselves. We cannot just have some behavioral modification take place and, okay, I'm going to be holy. No, we need a new nature. We need a new creation that takes place. And that only takes place through the work and the supernatural work of God. He does that by imparting, by, by, by sending, um, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So when we understand that, that, that it's Christ, Christ's Spirit, as Paul says, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the, dead, from the dead is the same Spirit that resides in us. Same Spirit. That's what it, we are given when we are, um, theologians say, uh, uh, when we're regenerated, when regeneration takes place. John says that, um, uh, that, that no one will enter the kingdom uh, of heaven unless they are born again, um, or, or um, more literally, born from above. That's what takes place when the Spirit of Jesus enters into us. So Oswald Chambers says, Get, God gives us the Spirit of Jesus, but He does not give us His mind. Think about that. So He gives us the Spirit of Jesus, but He... He doesn't give us the mind of Christ. We have to construct the mind of Christ. And it can only be done as we work out in the habits of a holy life. That the things that we are familiar in, that are, we were familiar in the life of our Lord. So, so remember, he's saying here that it only happens... Because what we're working out as habits of our own. So the habits of a holy life, the things that were familiar to the life of our Lord. You see that? Remember I just said, well, like, we're not going to live a holy life in and of ourselves. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit we're going to be able to live a holy life. And how are we to live that holy life? What do we know to be a holy life? How are we going to then, as we're living this holy life and understanding what it is, construct this mind of Christ? We have to be familiar with what Jesus did. He says, we cannot form the mind of Christ once for always. Think about that. It's, you can't form the mind of Christ once forever. 
We have to form it always. That is, all the time and in everything. So, let us not think, and I think this is important too, as we open this, this big can of, of, of worms or, or, or whatever you want to call it, this can to say, um, I, I, I want to understand the mind of Christ. We have to understand that this is not like, um, check the box, I got it, move on to the next thing. The mind of Christ is always being developed in us. The Spirit of Christ is in, it is a, okay, He's in us, He's in it to win it, He's always there. Since He's here, this is how we're going to construct the mind of Christ. We track Him so far. Very, 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 very important. Because if, if we think, hey, I got it, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, you know, rode the ride, whatever, and then we move on, we're minimizing the importance of the developing and the growing and the maturing in Christ. So, with all of that said, let's look at Philippians chapter 1. Because in Philippians chapter 1, Paul writes, he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So, real real quick background here. Paul just got done saying in verse 21, for for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But he says, you know, it's better for me to stay because I've got a lot lot of work to do to help you. And if I'm going to stay, okay, we've got got to do this together. And you're going to have to participate. Then he starts this next paragraph. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So he's saying, since I'm going to be here and since God is keeping me here, we've got to do this. You have to do this. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. Important. With one mind. This is kind of where we're going to jump off here into this. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. And that from God. I, I, I love that he, he the, the, the Apostle Paul, he, he puts these little um, nuances in there. These little nuggets he, he sprinkles throughout. He, he makes it clear. It says, okay, your salvation is from God. It's not, above, it's not according to how you work. Like all the good things that you do, then God says, oh, I want him on my team. No, it's when you were dead and you were nasty and you were ugly and you were in your sin. He says, I love him. I love her. I want them. I want, I want him. I want her. That's where when we're talking about sharing the gospel, that's that, that beautiful part of, of, of Romans 5.8. Um, but God shows his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While you were ugly and, and, and um, nasty and dirty and doing what you shouldn't be doing, God loved you and he died for you. That should be that under that 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 that, that spark is like wow. That what's that commercial? That if commercial where the, the heads the purple heads go, poof, your mind should go. Poof, whoa! I never thought that, that that God could ever love me because of what I've done. In spite of what you've done, He still loves us. That, 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 that's huge. That is, that, that, that's got to be um, very, very important to the individual, to the, the disciple of Christ. Because if you don't get that, you might have a, the, the propensity to, to say, well, he likes me because I'm just good looking. 
Or, yeah, no, whatever. Or, he, he likes me because my wife's hot. Or, he likes me because I got a lot of money. Or, he likes me because I, or, and you can fill in whatever. Because I'm a good person, whatever. No. He, God loves you because God, God loves you. I know on a mathematical equation, it, God loves you because God loves you. Probably doesn't, doesn't factor out, but it is the truth. We have to rest in that. So let's go on, because i got a whole lot more. For it has been granted to you that, you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Well, that's that word that no one likes to, to hear, especially in, in, in our society. I'm not going to suffer for Jesus. Come on now. Um, some of you, some of us, I, and I'll, I'll, I'm in here too, because I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, um, uh, whatever. I'm not excluded from this crowd. But some of us would say on Sunday, let's charge hell with a squirt gun and a washcloth. But then on Monday, you're not willing to suffer a paper cut for him. There's that, what's that called, Jake? You called the hypocrite cologne? There's that hypocrite. I mean, and, and do we want to do that? No, but a lot of times we, we have these bad habits and we um, just do that. Remember what Oswald Chambers said about the habits of Christ. We should um, adopt and and, and, um, live those habits, understand what those habits are, and be able to implement them in our lives. So, suffer for his sake. That's not the other side of the the spectrum. That's not we go and we pick a fight with um, somebody just for the sake. i got to suffer for Christ. I'm going to be a martyr, so um, come and whatever, shoot me, or I, I, I don't know. It's not running to the other end of the spectrum. It's when confronted with the truth or um, having the, the, the opportunity to share the gospel. It's, okay, I'm going to set Lee aside for a second. And this may be a little bit hard or squeamish. I may feel a little bit uncomfortable, but I'm willing to endure this, even this momentary suffering. So then maybe um, one most importantly, that whoever I'm talking to may be able to, to experience the, the joy that Christ gives, but also that I can experience the blessings in which he wants to give me. God wants to bless us. We, we, we keep him from blessing us. You've heard me say that a, a thousand times. Let's go on. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. Understand that Paul's in prison when, he, when he's writing this. It, Think about this. He, he's, this is not prison like uh, three hots and a cot like we have today, right? I think that's one of the things, that, and I'm not, um, anti, uh, I'm an, not an anti-humanist uh, where I think we should um, you know, abuse people, but I think our, our prisoners have it way too easy now where it's not that big of a deal as in like times where Paul's talking. He's chained to, chained to a Roman guard here. Um, probably getting a, a, maybe a meal um, a day if he's lucky. There, there, there's no TV with ESPN on in the corner. He's probably freezing. I mean, we, we, we read about when he writes to Timothy later and in other places that um, he's like, hey, bring my coat because it gets cold here in the wintertime. This is, this is enduring suffering for the sake of the gospel here. Just think about that. 
Chapter 2, this is where we're going to roll even further. So if there is any encouragement in Christ. So this is not Paul saying, if there is. He's, he's saying that since there is. This, this is an informative statement. This is not a, 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 a questioning statement. He's saying, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We're going to stop there. So we're going to stop there because next week I want to talk about the pursuit of the mind of Christ. This week we're going to talk like what is the mind of Christ and give and see an example of. Um, but next week I want to talk about the pursuit of how do we pursue the mind of Christ? Here Paul talks to us, and he's saying that to be of one accord, one spirit, of one mind. You've heard me stress, and I'll stress even further. That doesn't mean that everybody thinks like I think, or everybody has to think like one person thinks in here on everything. Being of one spirit and of one heart and of one mind, that means that let's put Christ where he belongs, in the center. Jesus in the center of it all, right? So when we come together, we know why we are coming together. Why are we coming together? Because we want to worship Christ. Everything else that happens outside of our worship of Christ, those are all just bonuses, Whatever it may be, whatever blessings come come out of that, whatever ministry we do, whatever um, uh, impact we have, it all has to come out of, and it will come out of the worship of Christ. So we are single minded and singly focused. Some people, well, that's just narrow minded. Yes, but narrow mindedness is saying this is the, this is the answer, and you can't have any, right? We don't say that. As believers in, as Bible-believing uh, Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, we say, He is the answer. Let's go. Let's bring as many as we can to go towards Him to get the answer. So when we're talking about being of one mind, being of one accord, that means when we come together, He is our focus. It's not the, the, the beautiful people who sing. It's not the beautiful person who preaches. You see, I snuck that one in um, it's not the bald men who are battling for uh, ground up here, which I think we should just have a, um, I know this is going to sound really bad, but remember Celebrity Deathmatch? Do you remember that? <laughs> the little claymation guys? No, um, but this is not any of that exterior stuff. This is, okay, when we come together, we're coming together to hear from God in his word. Whether it's me up here preaching, whether it's somebody else, another man in the congregation up here preaching, we come together to, to sit under and to be washed by the Word. That's our focus. That's where we have to continually make sure that we're realigning ourselves. Because if not, we get misskewed and misconstrued where to think that, well, he's, just, he can, he's a good expositor of the Word, a good preacher of the Word. Well, okay, but it's not about the preaching, it's about the content. Okay? So, 
That's what it means when we come of one mind and of one heart and, and of being of full accord. So with that, that groundwork is laid. I think that, that it would be um, good for us. It would be very advantageous if we looked at, let's look at an example of the mind of Christ, the, 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 the working of the mind of Christ. Turn with me to um, John chapter 4. John chapter 4. How many songs you got are you ending with? Just one? Okay. <clears throat> Let me read that, that, that statement from Oswald Chambers again, and then we're going to dive into John chapter 4. God gives us the spirit of Jesus, but he does not give us his mind. We have to construct the mind of Christ, and it can only be done as we work out in the habits of a holy life the things that were familiar in the life of our Lord. We cannot form the mind of Christ once for always. We have to form it always, that is, all the time and in everything. So here is an understanding of the habits, or just maybe one, actually we're going to identify a few, habits of the Lord. So if you're taking notes, you, wanna, you want to uh, uh, label your columns or whatever. You can label this observations concerning the mind of Christ. There's just a, a, a few things, five, maybe six things that we need to observe or we're going to observe in this passage um, pertaining to the mind of Christ. So let's read. Now, when Jesus uh, learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied, uh, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Chill for one second. Let's look at this. So, Jesus sets off, and he, it says that, that um, uh, he, he, he takes off, and he goes through this place called Samaria. Which, we, we, when we first read this, if you don't have a lot of Bible background, it's all right. Um, but what, what, we, what we, un, we, do, we, we miss or we don't understand is the importance of just Jesus going through Samaria. It, it, it's worse than, just think about this, if we were going to Canada, us having to go through Michigan. <laughs> now that makes sense, right? Yeah. So, so it, if... Understand a, a good, godly, um, devout Jewish man or woman, they, they did not go even walk through Samaria because those Samaritans, they weren't, they weren't good people. They were considered half-breeds. They were not of the people of God. So they, the, the, the people of God, the Jewish people, they separated. They, they would go out of their way to go around Samaria so if you were thinking, if you were in Jerusalem, if you can picture this with me, you're, you're in um, 
Jerusalem, and you're, you want to travel north uh, to get up, uh, like uh, up by the Decapolis or, or up in the, the, the upper part um, of like um, the the the, uh, the Sea of Galilee and up up in that area, you would actually travel uh, east to go beyond the Jordan River, and then travel north, like up the Jordan River, then come back to go to wherever you wanted to go. Even if you wanted to go towards like the, the coastline. You wouldn't take the straight shot and go right through Samaria. It just didn't happen. That wasn't the travel route of a devout Jew. But notice what, what, what John makes clear here for Jesus. Verse 4. And he had to pass through Samaria. Don't, don't look at that like, okay, Whatever. No, he had to pass. The word there for had, day, um, D-E-I, is the word in Greek there for had. But it has so much more um, impact when we, when we look at it in, in, in its, uh, not only its context, but his, its implications. It's not just we well, had to go do something. It, it's understood that that means it was necessary for him to do that. Not he just had to, like I have to go to the bathroom. No, it's necessary that I go to the bathroom. If not, we'll have a mess, okay? It was necessary for Christ to go through Samaria. But think about that. What's the big deal? What can we draw from the necessity of Christ you know, going through Samaria? Well, I'm glad you asked. He was following the will of the Father. The Father said, okay, here's, here's the deal. You're going to go. If we stop for a second, put a pin in that, or push the pause button, or whatever, and we think about Jesus' example there by going through Samaria, and then we fast forward to... Um, Jesus, right before he uh, ascends into heaven, and he tells his disciples to, to go into Jerusalem, where they don't like them right now, you know, all the, the, the stuff that went on. We can see that there's, there, there's, there's a correlation there, right? The father told the son to go. The son told his disciples to go. Sometimes God tells us to do things that we just don't think that it makes a lot of sense. I'm not saying that, that, that Christ was going, what are you talking about, Father? Are you sure? No, I'm not saying that. That's what we do. That, that, that's our reaction. That's, that's, are, are you sure? We, we have the, the, uh, um, the, the reenactment of, of Peter when, when uh, God reveals that he's supposed to... to to uh, reach out to the Gentiles, to Cornelius, where he gives them the vision. And he's like, are you sure, God? Or, or, or Ananias, when Ananias is, is to go and, and heal um, Saul, that becomes Paul. He's like, wait, are you sure? You sure you want me to do that? That's what we do. But it says that Christ went. He, he, he went through there. I think um, that's just kind of like the, the, the beginning of, of, of our journey here of understanding this mind of Christ. Look, look further on here. 
So it says he came to pass through, but it says where he ended up. He ended up at Jacob's well, but it, it, it says that he was wearied as he was from his journey. So he stopped at the well to get something to drink. Why? Because he was tired. Jesus was fully human. We talked about that a few, a few, months, or a few weeks ago when we went through the We Believe series. But Jesus was fully human, fully God, but fully human. He, he endured you know, the same kind of things we endure. But I think that there's even a greater picture here that we see or we can see with Jesus being tired and needing a drink of water. Because it was necessary for him to go through Samaria, because he had to do this, because he was following the will of God, I think that we can get a very good picture of even though, um, brother, sister, that you're following the will of God, there may be times you'll get tired. Just because you get tired doesn't mean you're not doing the will of God. Maybe you're getting tired because you're doing the will of God. And the reason you're getting tired is because you need to get some refreshment in you. If we, if we equate tiredness to unfaithfulness, then we place Jesus as being unfaithful. Jesus wasn't unfaithful. He was on a mission and he got tired on that. What does he do? He stops for some refreshments. Let's go on. Uh, verse 7. A woman from Samaria, this is going to be really important here in a second. Um, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. What, what time is it? Six hours. It's noon. High noon. Very important here. So, and this has really, it has a lot to do, but we're not going to expound greatly on it. But So if she's coming there at high noon to get water, um, what kind of lady do you think she is? Okay. She's not in the in crowd. Because they would come in the morning and come in the evening when it wasn't high noon, it wasn't the hottest part of the day. A little bit tidbit information. So a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Okay, so wearied from his journey, he takes a seat. His disciples go to get food. He's like, man, I'm thirsty. Okay, this lady comes. He says, all right, give me a drink. And the Samaritan woman raised her eyebrow, put her hand on her hip, and said, How is it that you, a Jew... Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. Huge, huge implications that are going on here. Huge. This, this, is, this is really earth-shattering because not only is Jesus going through a land that a, a good, um, devout Jew wouldn't go through, now he's talking to a woman that is a Samaritan, understanding that um, he was viewed as a teacher or a rabbi, so they would never even talk to a woman, let alone a, a Samaritan woman. And she knows this. And not only just a Samaritan woman, a pretty trampy Samaritan woman that has to come out when no one else is around to get water. For Jews, have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Pause there for a second. 
I love this. Jesus asked her for a drink. What's the big deal? No, just think. Just think about this for a second. He asked something of her. If we were to put ourselves into this position, maybe, maybe you're not like, well, I'm not a tramp. I'm not sleeping around. I'm not whatever. Um, but if you were to put yourself in this position that you, you, you are in need of living water or you're, in, you're a sinner and, and you understand that um, God is God and I'm not, if you understand that, how about this, you're human, Jesus is requiring something from us. Just like he's inquiring about a drink of water, he's requiring, okay, give me a drink of water. Well, what's the big deal? Well, I believe when God requires something from us or he, he inquires about something, it's because he wants to reveal something else. Did Jesus really need a drink? Absolutely. It says he did. But was that really the, the, the whole premise behind why he said, give me a drink? No, he wanted to reveal something to this lady. Too many times we think when God tells us, we use the, the, the Christianese words, when God calls us to do something, that it's all um, about what I can do for God. When in reality, yes, he calls us to do something to be obedient, it's because, but it's because he wants to reveal something to you. But what we do is we say, no, I'm not going to follow that calling, or I'm not going to, to give in to whatever it is that God has asked me to do. That's, going to ask, that's asking too much of me. I, I'm, what would the people really, what would they say about that? What, what, how would I be viewed among the, the, the rest of the people in the community? When, when, we, when, we, when we go there, I know that's a, let's just put that in quotation marks. When we go there to that, that mode of thinking or that mindset, what we're doing is we're just blocking out what God really wants to reveal to us. So my question is, to everybody in here, myself included, what is God requiring of you that you're saying no to? Because whatever that is, he's got something he wants to reveal to you. Everybody's in here is different. Everybody is at a different step or a different walk in, 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 or um, progression in, in their faith with, with Christ. Maybe some of you in here don't even know who Jesus is. And what you're doing is you're, you're just saying, um, no, he's requiring my life and requiring me to, to give up this, that, or the other. I can't do that. But if you did, look at, you cannot imagine what he has to reveal to you. I know that we've talked many times about the blessings in which God wants to give us. And we talk about this, this proverbial um, faucet that, that if we position ourselves under the faucet, God can turn on and turn off the, the blessings. Absolutely. But if you're dead and you don't understand the faucet or you don't understand that God wants to bless you and God, that God wants you to live for him and that, that if you give up your selfish ambitions and you give up your selfish... Well, I can... I've got everything figured out. God doesn't know me that good. <laughs> okay. So if, if you have that mindset, you're holding yourself back from just a, 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 um, an immense amount of overwhelming joy that you can't even imagine. Joy undescribable, as the Bible tells us. 
So if we were to look at that on just a logical term, and we, we, we could be logical in here. We're, we're not the blind man with the cane running around being a Christian. That, that was a picture I had. I heard a, a preacher um, th- this week talking about that. And I, I was like, man, he sounds like that we're supposed to be um, believing Jesus and run around with a white cane and our eyes closed. That's not what God wants for, for us. He wants us to be enlightened. He wants us to be aware. He wants to reveal his truth to us. So whatever it is that you're saying no to God, you're also saying no to this revelation that, that he has for you. Side note, let's go. So, also, as Jesus is talking here, and, and as Jesus says, give me a drink, he then identifies this living water. But he identifies it in the way he says, if you knew the gift of God. So he clearly establishes, though, even though the, the, she's going to say in, in a minute, well, we go to church and we're all, everything's good, he's going to say, but you don't know the gift of God. And I love how the, 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 this term that he uses here in verse 10 of the gift because we see this and we can understand if we do a, a deeper study, this gift of God that, that he's speaking of is the same terminology. It's the same Greek word used in the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he's saying this gifting that is from God is powerful. It's empowering. It's not just a, oh, it's a lame birthday present. No, it is the ultimate present. And he says... Who is it that is, and who it is that is saying this to you? Give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. He goes from the physical, temporal need of water just to quench my thirst to now I'm going to quench the thirst of eternity, the spiritual thirst. And I don't really think that this lady gets it. She, she doesn't get it right away because her response is: the woman said to him. Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And the well is it's really deep. So uh, right off the bat, goes right to, well, let me just, sorry, I'm going to be Captain Obvious here. This is a deep well, and you ain't got a bucket. How many of us, and let's, let's raise our hand on this, because I think we all need to look around and see how, um, uh, how much you're in company. How many of us, when God tells us to do something, we go to, to that, um, well, but what about this? Oh, I can't do that because. Anybody? Or am I alone? Yeah. We try to say, well, logically, this doesn't make sense. How are you going to get the water out of the well? It's way down there. That's what she's saying. Where do you get that, 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 that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? I, I picture Jesus just sitting there going, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. But he said, are you greater than our father Jacob? He has given us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. N- notice this. Huge. She identifies on the material. Jesus is talking about the eternal, and she she focuses back on the material. What about the well? Are you you greater than the, the, the one who gave us the well? Jesus says, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. 
The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me the water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Wow. Does she get it? She still doesn't get it. And, and, and here, here, this is not like, yeah, women never get it. No, dude, you're the, if it was a guy that was there, he would be, uh, what? Water? We would be just as ignorant here, if not even more. She still doesn't get it. He's saying, okay, hold on. And I love this. We can see a, 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 a we have an observation here that, that the mind of Christ is patient. Okay? God is patient with you. And he needs to be. Because you're hard-headed. Hard-hearted. But he's always there. Look here, he says, um, Jesus in, in his, I don't even know what you would call this, what the theological term of this would be, but I just call it, he, he, he just gets to the stuff. He cuts to the chase. All right? Jesus goes where we're like, okay, she's not getting this. And I'm not, I don't think that he's scratching his head like, oh, what do I have to say? No. Jesus understands why this woman doesn't get it. The reason this woman doesn't get it is because she's blinded by sin. She doesn't understand anything about living water. Just as if you went to a a family member or a friend and tried to uh, present the gospel to them, and they're like, well, I don't understand any of that. It's just nonsense. That's the same thing that Jesus is encountering right here. There is sin that is inhibiting or prohibiting the, um, the revelation, the revealing of the light of the gospel to come in. And I love how Jesus, he, he gives the hope before he gives like, okay, this is what, I, I, you need to identify this that's going on. He says, here's the hope, you can have this. And this is not a bait and switch. This is he, He's telling this lady who is thinking on, on, on physical terms that um, she can never be thirsty again. He's building this up. He's setting, this, um, he, he's setting the stage for, for, to, for her to want this. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I don't think that there's anything wrong when you go and you talk to someone. You can talk to them about heaven and about the life to come and how all of this we can be with, with, with God in glory and we can, um, be, or we can live um, in, in um, His presence forever. There's nothing wrong with, with, with starting that way or, or, or communicating that. But we can't just communicate that because there's something that has to be dealt with. He goes from that to this. He says... Um, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman stimmered and stammered and said, um, well, you see, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you were right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you, are now, you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Pause before the, what we hear the woman's response. 
Jesus goes from, okay, the reason that you don't understand that I am the living water, I'm the one who gives the eternal life, I'm the one that is sent by the Father, I am the gift, the reason you don't understand that is because of the sin that's in your life. I know that sin isn't popular in our society, but it is imperative that we address it. That's why Christ, when it says that Christ came to seek and to save those which were lost, save them from what? The penalty of sin. We have to confront that. It's not pleasant. I I don't know anybody in here, and not saying it hasn't happened, that you have encountered or had to deal with a sin that was dark and it was dirty in your life, and, and it was pleasant to deal with. Maybe the outcome was, was very pleasant. Like after you got through the nitty and the gritty and you were up to your, your, your ears and the muck and the mire, what happened afterward was pleasant, absolutely. But while you're in it, and that stinks. And it's messy. And sometimes it feels lonely. But nonetheless, we have to go through that. We have to deal with that. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Don't run from it. You don't have to keep coming to the well at noon when no one else is around to get water. Let's deal with this. The woman said to him, Sir, duh, I perceive that you are a prophet. I love it. I love it. Dudes would have been like, uh, yeah, you know stuff. All right. I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Okay, see how this changes? It shifts a little bit here. Well, our fathers worship on this mountain. And she's pointing. She's probably pointing to Mount Gerizim. Possibly. There's a couple. There's a handful of mountains right around there. But it's probably where she's pointing. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Notice this reaction. Many of us are guilty of this in here. Or if you're not, many of us know people who are guilty of this. And this doesn't elevate us to some superior level. This just shows the reality of um, how Scripture speaks into our lives. When confronted with sin, what's the first thing she does? Well, I go to church. I've been going to church my whole life. (laughs) Okay? Billy Sunday. Some of you may know who that is. Some of you may not. Billy Sunday says, um, standing in a garage makes you no more an automobile than, than coming to church makes you a Christian. Just because you go to do something doesn't mean you become that. Jesus is, Jesus is hearing this woman say, well, I go to church, so I must be a Christian. I must, I mean, I must be right with God because I'm doing... No. It doesn't work that way. She is unrepentant of her sin. If she is unrepentant of her sin, she has not been. Um, uh, she has not had the, the light of the gospel revealed in her life. Jesus says to her, "Woman, believe, this is not a derogatory. I can see. I can see the the, the pain on his face." Saying, Woman, okay, okay, look into my eyes. 
Listen with your ears. Let this penetrate deep down inside you. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Man, I get chills just thinking that. The Father is seeking such people to worship Him. How can we worship the Father? We have to first repent of the sin that's in our lives. If we want to be a true worshiper, if we want that intimacy with the creator of the world, if we want that living water to to well up in us as Jesus talks about, we have to, when identified, when convicted, repent of the sins that's in our lives. We cannot hold on to them. John makes it very clear that, that those who abide in Christ, abide, abide in God, do not go on sinning. doesn't mean that you never sin again. It means when something is identified and is made clear by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you do something about that. You repent. Don't look at repentance as a bad thing. Look as, as, at repentance as a a vehicle and the avenue and the mode in which we come into deeper relationship with the Father. That's what repentance is. It should never be looked at, oh, it's, it's just another what? R-E-P-E-N-T. Another six-letter word, right? Did I count right? Yes, another six-letter word that we think that, well, I'm going to avoid that like the plague, We have to view repentance as what it truly is. It's a beautiful thing. Because it's submitting to God's will and not your own. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The mind of Christ is a mind that knows the truth. And is not just, does not just know the truth, is ambitious about pursuing this truth. Going out of your way to do what needs to be done, not what you want to do. It's the necessity of, okay, this is what God said. And heeding to his calling. Saying, man, but the well's deep. You say the well's deep, but God, you don't know my circumstances. You don't know the outcome. I don't think if we argue with God and and, and contemplate and try to bargain with him about, well, he doesn't know the outcome of what's going to happen in my life. We are just, uh, we don't understand the outcome of what's going to happen to being separated from him. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And finally, Jesus got fed up with her and said, listen here, woman. 
Not really. He didn't get fed up with her. He says, I who speak to you am he. Who has two thumbs and is the Messiah. That's the shirt he was wearing. This guy. That's what he, he was. He revealed to this lady that she, he asked her initially, give me a drink. And then he revealed himself to her. If he wouldn't have had that encounter with her, would that lady have ever come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? No. Jesus went out of his way for her. Just like Jesus went out of his way for you. For me. Don't minimize that. If this power that we understand that that, that dwells inside of us and then um, helps us to construct this mind of Christ, this power, the Holy Spirit himself who dwells inside of us, we need to, quote-unquote, tap into that power. We need to understand that things have to take place. Decisions have to be made. Something needs to be put to death in every single one of our lives. And don't look at that as a, man, that's going to be hard. Sure, it will be. It's not going to be easy. But it's necessary. i got a whole bunch more, but we'll, go, we'll, can, we'll pick up next week. So let's pray and we'll, we'll roll from here. Our Father God in heaven, Lord, we, um, God, as we thank you, I don't want to thank you just in word, but I want to thank you in deed. I want to thank you for um, just this opportunity, not just for me, but for all of us to, to hear what you have to say, the truth of your word. God, we do want to construct, we do want to form this mind that um, is in line with yours. God, we'll we'll never attain your pure mind now, even in eternity. That's what we're going to do for the rest of eternity is, is learning more and more and more and more and more about you. But God, let us take seriously now of just the implications and, and, and the, the, the reasoning and the understanding that's going to take place temporally right now that's going to affect eternity then. God, let us understand that eternal life starts when, when you enter into our life, not when we die. That we need to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. That we can be the light to others. That our habits are different, but not a better than different, but a, hey, I know what's going to happen. Just as Christ, as he went, he he knew what you were going to do. He knew that that you were going to work and move. God, let us have that same confidence when we go and we talk to people in our lives about the good news of Jesus Christ. That we have the same confidence to say, he's going to move. God, I I, I pray this. I want this for your people. I want this for me. I want us to to, to just push into you, to, to lean on you, to let us be led by you. Lord, as we end with um, a song of worship, as we bring this time together of worship collectively 
to a, a close. Let this not be just a, a pin in the map or, or a time slot on our schedule. Let this be our life. Let our lives be worthy of the gospel of Christ. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and worship.